No network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. Welcome uh, to another edition of Banal of America Audio, day two of our crazy marathon here. And uh, we got our buddy Greg Bischoff, uh, Bischoff, let's call him Bischoff, Bishop returning to the program tonight. Uh, he's got a new book out. He was actually on back in December, but, and I, I have like crazy, ridiculous, unspoken rules of. <laughs> of the show where it's like if I already have someone on the show uh, in the season, then I don't want to have them back on the show in the season. And it's like, finally I was like, well, Jesus, man, you haven't done a show in like four months. So what's the, how, how are there any rules anymore? You know? So, and Greg has the new book out and I want to talk about it. Cause when we last talked to him about it, it wasn't uh, something that people could get yet. So, you know, we're huge yeah, champions. I wrote the blurb on the back, for God's sake. So what the, what the hell? we got to talk about this book. So, Greg, welcome back to the show. He needs no introduction. Host of Radio Mysterioso. Uh, and the new book is It Defies Language. And he's the, I think he's the champion of uh, appearances on the program. So there's no surprise there. Uh, welcome back, Greg. Thanks for having me back. I'm I'm going to defend my championship here. There you go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> oh, my God. Um so I guess I don't recover uh, anything I wrote in the book, so go right ahead. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> no, no. I I I people like I've I've been on a, a couple of shows and they're just like, So you wrote about this? I'm like, What what I did? Oh geez. You know, so I've got the book next to me right now, so if you bring something up I can either look at it really co- closely and carefully and quickly, or I can do the cheap thing and read the passage. So go ahead. There you go. Uh, well, I don't even know where to begin, I guess, because uh, tell people tell people about the book and what the book is and all that good stuff, so they get an understanding. Because uh, otherwise, they'll they'll you know I'll start asking about stuff and they'll be like, I never really knew what I never thought what it was about. What's what you know? What's the story here? Yeah. So love, what's, what's the book? My, my, your, my favorite thing you do is the fanboy voice. I love that voice. <laughs> um. I'll do. I'll, <laughs> I'm sure this conversation will delve into podcasting later, and I'll tell you about a funny, <laughs> a funny like critique I got in the midst of being off the air for like five months. It was like, what, what is this? Why are you? But anyway, tell, tell Why people. Why are you not doing anything? Where's my show? I'm supposed to have my show. <laughs> uh, the book. <laughs> yes. The book is a uh, collection of, for the most part, probably I don't know, eighty percent or maybe a little more than that, of. Um, 
maybe even more than that, of uh, uh, posts I wrote for a blog uh, called UFO Mystic or UFO Mystic that Nick Redford and I were assigned to work on for four years. Nick was on a little longer than I was because, you know, he's a machine. Uh, Between 2006 and 2010, um, my last post, I believe, was in early 2010. My first post was like in December of 2005. Um, what it was, we were, huh? I said, there you go. I was just, yeah, I was just taking a beat. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, you know, what happened on that site was we were allowed to write about anything we wanted. I mean, there was no, like, you have to, as long as it was, you know, something around the subject of UFOs most of the time. Right. So, you know, I, that's what we both wrote about. And, you know, and Nick wrote a bunch of stuff. I wrote a bunch of stuff. Um, a lot of the stuff I wrote... <laughs> turned into these um, historical, you know, examinations of things, like re-examinations of famous UFO cases or or personalities, people I'd known, um, uh, government uh, people like Bill Moore, Richard Doty, Jamie Chanderay, uh, a few other different people, uh, uh, friends of mine like Gabe Valdez, um, uh, uh, Mac Tonys, when he passed away, I wrote a... a, a obituary for him on the site but um so i had those things but then i also did this weird thing where i there was all this information and stuff in my head that for some reason i wanted to get out and a lot of those turned into opinion pieces and theory pieces and those make up a a big chunk of the book too i did not put them at the front because uh the illustrator red pill junkie said nobody wants to hear about that stuff they want to hear about the government stuff and the weird people and he was right, so I put those near the front. But for people that really, you know, <laughs> wanted to delve into it, delve into it a little bit more, there's big fat uh, pieces, uh, different uh, sections of essays on, you know, what's the UFO thing? You know, why are we interested? What does it consist of? What are we even looking at? How should we think about it? How should things change? Maybe the way we deal with it. Um, some very light critique of certain people, um, and. Uh, you know, uh, that was my opinion, and there was a, a, a kind of theories too about you know how uh, what what are some of the I'm trying to think of some of the essays I had. My favorite one was the uh, UFOs as a cosmic art project. You know, and and then I wrote yeah, part well, two, a new for, new one for yeah, the book. Yeah, that's a pretty that's <laughs> a pretty seminal uh, type of uh, thing that you kind of put out there a long time ago and have updated it with sort of new new thoughts and. And insights. So, yeah, yeah, it was, it was one, one of the very few things I wrote where I thought this is something that that I've. There's been things like it. People have talked about it, but I that's the first time I've ever read somebody saying, "Look, let's look at it as a piece of artwork, or as as you might as somebody might be a uh, affected by a piece of artwork." And you know, in the, the second part, I, I stretched it into film and video and stuff like that. How does that affect people? And you know, what if a UFO? You know, if you could do what a UFO does to people, changes their life in a few minutes, uh, you would be an amazing, amazing artist, you know, uh, painting, film, literature, or whatever. So anyway, that's, that was the, the uh, theory part. And then I have parts on, you know, there's, I wrote about some conspiracy type stuff. And the last chapter was about my friend Mario Pazzaglini, who has uh, passed away, but he was interested in messages that people said they got from angels or, or fairies or aliens or whatever that were written, uh, alien writing. So the entire last hmm. chapter is about that. So that, that, that's basically how the book came to be and or what it consists of. Um, uh, Kim, Paul Kimball and, uh, uh, and Nick 
Redfern both said, why don't you put that stuff in a book? You know, some of that stuff was pretty good. And I thought about it. I said, yeah, it kind of was. So, I, you know, it took me about four months to go through it, edit it, uh, take out all the references like, you know, yesterday this happened. And, you know, and yeah, yeah, yesterday's yeah, yeah. Post, you know, just to make them <laughs> less, less uh, grounded with the uh, uh, website and the time and more more uh, to- uh, uh, interested in the topic rather than the, you know, uh, to, to be an essay in a book rather than an essay online. Yeah, you want to make them more so, timeless. Exactly. So I put those all yeah. together. Red Phil um, showed me some of his artwork. I said, hey, you want to do the artwork? And he did an incredible job, especially on the cover. Well, everywhere, but that cover was amazing. And everybody likes it. And it just came together as a package, and, and that's how it came together. The Kindle version just got released um, two days ago. Nice, nice. So that has like extra a launch stuff in it. That's basically, yeah, what? 70, what? There's extra 70, stuff? There's 70 pages more of stuff in there, and ex- the illustrations are in color where I could get them, and there's an extra Red Pill Junkie illustration in it. What? That's, like, awesome. That's I, I. That's a great idea. So now I may just have to shell out the the money for the Kindle version to see that because it's extra shit. I like the yeah, idea of putting it. Yeah, it's seven bucks. I mean, it's, I, I, it was a kind of a marketing decision on my part, but you can, you know, if you wanted to wait. No, it's a great idea. just wanted to wait for the Kindle. So you get everything that's in the regular printed book, but it's um, it was easier for me to add things and to put, you know, I, I the book wasn't printed in color, so I said, hey, it's Kindle. I can put color pictures in. So the, some of the illustrations are, are, are now color. And um, yeah. there's some links and things in there that I couldn't have, obviously, in the book. So it's it's a, it's a little bit different. There's a little bit extra stuff. I like that. I like that. And the uh, what's the website so we can send people to that to make sure they go check it out? It's, it defies language.com. Yes. In fact, I've, I've okay. you've reminded me now. I should put a link to the Kindle on there too, because I only have a link to the print edition. How yeah, I mention all that bonus material. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's mentioned when you go to Amazon, it says, you know, over 70 pages chosen personally by the author, blah, blah, blah. So Nice. I like that idea a lot. That's cool. So, yeah, folks, get the book. Greg's been on a million times. You know what he has to say, and the stuff's amazing. So, you know, it's really thoughtful stuff. And what I like about it is it's like cult from the blog. So it's uh, you can do sort of hit, you know, hit little short pieces as you're reading along. You know what I mean? You can kind of like pick it up, read a couple articles, and then put it down, read a couple more. It's like you're uh, – it's a good sort of uh, – yeah, it's, it's a good book for when you're on the go. Like yeah. Yeah. I read it on the airplane. Uh, pieces, I would bounce all around on it uh, in on the airplane flying back from Dallas. That's where I was like, oh, my God. So very good stuff. Now, the one thing that kind of stood out to me, I mentioned to you uh, – like off the year, obviously, uh, a few weeks ago or whatever, was uh, I'm still kind of fascinated by this Jamie Shandera dude and how he disappeared and how he was, like, mixed up in all this. And, you know, people obsess over Bill Moore. And I I know you're, like, uh, tied to this Bill Moore and uh, the Doty and the Benowitz thing. Well, I, that's a sub-question, I guess. You ever get tired of talking about that because it comes up all the time? Uh, I feel like you, you know, you've been tagged as that guy. But then the real question is, what the hell is the story with the Shandera dude? I know I've asked you this before in the past, but I need a refresher. Have we found out anything new about him, you know, here in 2016? Do we know where he is, what he's doing, why he disappeared from all this? No, nothing really that different. I mean, I I suppose if I, uh, you know, got a private eye on it or uh, did some digging myself and paid a little bit of money, I could find it. Um, I don't know if, what he'd have to say or if he'd even want to talk to me. Uh, what happened, if people don't know, and I described this in the book, was that uh, Bill Moore introduced us, and then we started talking, and we 
basically would talk about once every month or two uh, on the phone. I never actually, I think I actually met him once. But he lived in L.A. and I lived in L.A. and we would just talk for, you know, an hour, two hours sometimes about various things. Um, and at one point, and I should have written down or recorded or something what we said, because there was a lot of cool stuff we talked about. It, and it, I remember some of it, I guess, subconsciously, and it affects some of the ways I do things. And, you know, the connections I make. But the the, the weird thing with uh, Jamie was that uh, at one point he said, I asked him what he thought about, you know, government people and the alien thing and if they really were here and all that, what he thought about Roswell. And he said, I don't know about Roswell, but I, I'm sure that there are some sort of non-human life form here and the government knows about it and they've had contact with him. I said, ha, how do you know that for sure? And he did the classic spy thing. He's like, well, if you guess, I can tell you. Because then, you know, if you made a promise to somebody who wouldn't say anything, then it doesn't didn't come from him. It came from the other person. So Right, right. There, and you know, there, there, there began a, a few months series of a phone call a month saying, you know, did you see a document? Well, that doesn't prove anything. Did you see a video? That might not prove anything. Did you, you know, did you see a um, a crash like a flying saucer being tested somewhere, which might not prove anything either? Did you shake hands with an alien? That might prove something. I don't know. But anyway, he said no to all these things. Hmm. And I, have, I called all my friends and was like, what do you think would constitute proof for you? You know, they gave me all these these uh, strange and sometimes convoluted uh, uh, bits of evidence they would accept. And he said no to every single one of them. So um, I was still guessing by December of 1999 when he said, I said, do you want to be on uh, the show? Because I was doing... Uh, uh, I was already doing an interview show at that point. I think it was on Pirate Radio at that point. So I said, do you want to come on the show and uh, do an interview? He goes, yeah, sure. Um, he said, it's Christmas. I'm going to New York, and then I'll be back somewhere in the East Coast, and I'll be back in uh, in January, and we'll do the interview then. Sure, fine. And January came and went, and he no answer. And then finally I called him, like, at the end of January, beginning of February. And he, there was a message with some woman's voice saying, um, I don't know who's who, if you're calling for a guy named Jamie Chandra, I don't know who that is, and I don't know where he is, I don't know why I have his number. They'd assigned the number within like a couple of weeks or at least a little less than a month after he'd left and didn't use the number anymore, which is kind of unusual if you knew about how numbers were reassigned. They would basically just leave him alone for two or three months. It was reassigned very quickly. And I, you know, I never heard from him again. Bill Moore didn't know where he went. Um, my best guess is that he was doing something that needed to be done for somebody somewhere in the government or somewhere like that. Somebody in the power structure had him doing something and he finished what he was supposed to do and he was told to stop and just disappear. That's now, what we, I Because I feel bad in a sense because I sort of introduced this character without really giving the backstory because he's, he's like one of those sort of uh... – I don't know what you... He's sort of like a figure that pops up in one of the iconic stories of ufology, and it's like he's kind of mixed up with a lot of, like, early uh, stuff that sort of burst in... I forget if now... I'm forgetting off the top of my head if it was, like, well, Rodwell or MJ-12, but he was mixed up in a lot of that early, early, early stuff and was, like, a big name in that. Yeah, um, I should have backgrounded. The, the, Jamie Chandra was, was the person who had the MJ-12 uh, role of film sent to him with the Eisenhower briefing document and 
few other things on it, was sent to his house in 1983 or four, something like that. Right, he right. Called so he's patient zero of M- MJ-12, essentially. Yeah, I mean, he never took any credit for it or said anything or wrote anything about it. Um, but he was a player in that arena. And apparently he'd been doing intelligence work for a while, not as an employee, but like I guess as a consultant. He, he, uh, Bill told me that somebody in the CIA or something said um, at a meeting one time, they said, we've seen you before pointing at Bill. And they said, but uh, we haven't seen you before, but you we, we've dealt with. And they pointed at Jamie. And it turned out that well, wh- one thing. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, I was just going to say, what was his... What was his professed profession, though? Was he like a filmmaker or something like that, or what was his? Yes, he's he a television show producer. I don't even know okay. what he produced. I, in fact, people can probably IMDb it and check out and see what his name is on. But it was stuff, you know, in the seventies and early eighties, I guess. Um, probably he a, like he was a music uh, professional. Maybe he produced uh, Bill Zabel's uh, Kramer's Ketchup, the film we talked about last night. Folks who listened last night will. <laughs> That's that's a joke. Oh, okay. I guess last I, night I was it a movie? Probably not. <laughs> no, no, no. This was like in the seventies, I guess. I don't know. Um, oh, okay. So maybe maybe it was Kramer's ketchup. But what's amazing to me is that this guy just like disappeared. I don't know. I mean, you know, like I said, he was patient zero of this MJ12 story that became like a cottage industry, and it's like, and we at least know a little bit more about Bill Moore because he had that big sort of uh, you know public. Departure, I guess, from ufology, but with Jamie Shinderi, just kind of faded away, and it's like, wait a minute, what happened? What 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 happened with that guy? There's a few people like that, I guess, from that era that kind of like disappeared, kind of from the scene. It's kind of weird. Yeah, I, I can't think of it. Gene Huff. Maybe was one of them. Um, Wasn't the guy named uh, Kit something? Who Kit Green? Yeah, Kit Green was a uh, worked for, I believe, for the CIA, and he was a medical doctor, and I believe he still is. Um, and uh, he, was in, he was part of the aviary. He was part of that group that uh, Moore and Chandra knew. In fact, they made up Chandra and Moore made up that, uh, type, that group, aviary, just to keep all those people straight when they were talking about them on the phone so they wouldn't have to use them by uh, name them by name. Um, and it, it, was not, it was not an official group as far as I know. It was just a bunch of people that were into the UFO thing that were trying to find out what it was um, through, you know, back-channel government stuff because they had access to it. And they never did, apparently, which shows you, you know, tells you something about what's going on with the government and UFO information. It's either highly, highly, highly classified to the point where no insiders even who think they can get the information get it, or there's nothing really there to reveal that's uh, anything that we don't already know yet, you know. Uh, in, uh, base, in basic ways, like you know, we don't know where it's, where, what it's coming from or how to control it or anything like that. I, I think that's that's the disclosure, which is never going to happen. Mm, yeah. Well, it would be interesting to see if he's listening. If someone knows him and they're listening, tell him. Uh, tell tell Jamie Shandra to get in touch with us if he has anything to say, because I feel like someone like that would have some pretty interesting things to say in 2016 after all these years. Well, like, it'd be yeah, it'd be interesting to try and find him. I don't. I don't think he'd be hostile to talking to me anyway. I, uh, I, although I don't know if he'd be hostile about talking about the subject. So I think he kind of left it, and you know, he, he had been—he was getting divorced right at that time. He met another woman, I think, and they were going out. He might be married to her by now. Um, somebody saw him a year or two after that last time I talked to him, and um, said that 
he was fine and still living in L.A. And um, he, they saw him at a, a, a guitar recital for his, his son was having a guitar recital for school. And this woman just have, happened to have a kid in the same school and knew who he was and she talked to him. So that's how I knew he was still around L.A. at least like in 2001 or something. Yeah, well, it would be interesting. It would be interesting. Without a lock, you know, he's probably on Facebook, you know. Who knows? <laughs> I'm I'll have to look after I, after I get off yeah. the air, yeah. Be like, holy shit, there he is. But, yeah, it's just kind of weird, you know. It's, uh, even if I got out of it, I think like, I would, I guess if he was, like, with the government and shit, he doesn't even want to talk about it anymore. But it would be like, I feel like I'd be, I'd be... If you were involved in some weird scene back in the day, it would be kind of a thing you'd want to like, I don't know, revisit or something. But it's uh, it's maybe intriguing. you know, it was exciting for those people at that time. It Gilmore doesn't really, you know, the few times I talked to him throughout throughout the years since then, he's just he still thinks it was an exciting time, but he doesn't really care about it anymore. Yeah, yeah, you know, because no, nobody shared that thing except Jamie and and. and uh, Doty and probably a few other people he didn't know about, so he can't really talk to about talk about it with anybody particularly. And I think he's talked out about it, so he doesn't care. But Jamie, I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe he'll talk about it. the other thing. The reason he was I just thought of it now. The reason he was talking to him is maybe because he was supposed to. You know, maybe somebody told him. You know, keep keep throwing stuff out at UFO researchers for us, and you know. And I don't think he was lying to me or trying to do anything to mess with me or spread disinformation through me or anything. I, we were just having interesting conversations about things. Yeah, yeah. Well, not all like, if you ever talk to Bill Moore again, ask him if he ever hears from him. I'd be interested uh, knowing that. Because, uh, like you said, talk only, if, I talked only to him a handful, you know. And he hadn't. Oh, really? You asked him that last year? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Very weird. Anyway, uh, we'll move away from Jamie Chandler. I don't know why I find that. Uh, I got, like, hooked on APRO documents for a while where I was like, what happened to these things? Where are they? I don't even I never even found out exactly. I think someone did find them and get them eventually, but for a while it was no, like they were in, missing they're in, a, they're in a storage They're facility still in a dude's garage? Phoenix. Yeah, they're still in a storage facility owned by this couple, and... Uh, uh, the person that was the furthest along with that was Chris O'Brien, actually. He, oh, but he, he knows got the him, people, huh? and yeah, he he found them. He talked to them, and I don't exactly remember what they said. They, well, they said they wanted to have the stuff released and digitized and all that. But they haven't done done anything about it. I don't think. Probably wow. because it costs money and takes time, and there's nobody around that has the money and the time to do it. So meanwhile, this all these APRO files are stuck in these filing cabinets and and hopefully not rotting away. Yeah, you'd hope not. I think they're safe in Arizona, but I don't know how that works. Yeah, you never know. Water damage. It's dry there, so we'll see. But the thing is that there's, you know, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of uh, uh, sightings and reports and and and, and write-ups and articles and everything in there, and I hope they're still safe and mostly intact. Yeah, probably. I presume so. I don't even know what I would do if I even got, you know, it's a lot of stuff to sift through. You, you, I would be like oh, you a know full-time what I just, job for You know somebody. what I just got off eBay? <laughs> somebody on the Roddy Mysterioso um, page on Facebook said, do you know somebody's auctioning off um, UMO documents on eBay? 
Really? Letters nice. written, yeah, between Spanish researchers and British researchers, having, and some of the copies of the original UBO documents were sent out. I got them. I, I paid for them. I'm waiting for them to come in the mail. Nice. UMO documents. So we'll, Very nice. We'll see if those are interesting at all. It, you know, it wasn't horribly expensive, so it's like, okay, I'll, I'll throw some money down for these UMO documents just to see what's there. Now, I do – I want to mention one thing in the book. Uh, I'm trying to avoid necessarily, like, doing that where you go, oh, oh, you know, tell me about this. But uh, I thought the interesting <laughs> – I thought I – it was kind of sad in a way, uh, the, the 20 most important dates in ufology, because it's like they eventually end like really a long time ago. <laughs> and they, you can't really disagree with the dates, and it's just like – I'm trying to find uh, the page that it's on here because I want to see like the last one. But uh, yeah, here it is. All right. Yeah, the last see. one was like Bill Moore, I think, 1990, uh, 1989. That, that might be the last yeah, one. Yeah, 1989. So almost, almost 30 years ago. There hasn't been an important event in ufology in almost 30 years. That's kind of fucked up. I guess I I was kind of waiting, I think, as I went along to see if Phoenix Lights would make it or maybe, like, X-Files makes things popular or something. But those are the only two things I could even think of that would come after, you know, after the, after the Bill Moore thing. It's really kind of amazing. I don't know if it's just because we're... We're so we're still in this era of history, or or what? But it's like quite a depressing uh, state of affairs. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I can't. I, if I thought about it for a while, I could probably think of another important date, but I, I can't. Those are the only two I could think of. The ones you mentioned, really, and I don't. I don't put them in the twenty most important dates. I'd have to take other stuff out that I thought was wasn't as important, and I think they're all important. Right. Exactly. Um, That's the thing. Yeah. Like I said. Yeah, yeah, you can't really disagree with the ones that are in there. Turn on the light here so I can see what they are. But it, it's—I mean, it, it, the other thing it does is shows that you know I'm—I'm I'm probably a product of a different era. So I'm, I'm trying to—I'm yeah, but... trying to try to stay relevant by putting this book out. <laughs> <laughs> in a Kindle version too. See, kids, he's—he's with—he's uh, hip to your modern devices. But yeah, no, I just yeah. don't. I, I agree with you, though. I mean, I don't think there's, and and I'm from the '80s, '90s generation, and it's like there was nothing really that thrilling uh, that happened, except maybe, like I said, Phoenix Lights, and you know, then you almost have to get in more into like the social movement type of thing. And it's not so much dates that are important anymore. It's sort of like uh, shifts in in public uh, perception. You know, X Files makes it exciting. All the UFO groups die. Crazy people start uh, becoming like UFO politically active. That's like the three, you know, shifts that sort of happened uh, since that '89 date, it seems. But less, so, less so big events. Yeah, well, the disclosure thing, the politically active thing, I, I think it's, I think it's a huge waste of time, which is why I wouldn't have put it in the timeline. Right. No. Exactly. It's not going to change anything. However, I did say at the beginning the list, like they were chosen based on you know, uh, historical significance as part of the history and also, more importantly, how it affected, you know, public opinion or public uh, perception of the subject. And, yeah, I guess the disclosure thing and X-Files should be included in there for that reason. Yeah, yeah. But, again, it's uh, it's almost like you can't put a date. It's like these. It's like events weren't happening almost. It's the weird part. It's like these social changes were happening. But it's, yeah, uh, I noticed some of my things are in the 80s, too, which really shows where, where my head's at. 
Cash Landrum, uh, Intruders in Communion published, Robert Lazar in Area 51 stories began 1989, and 1989 Bill Moore Comes Clean at MUFON. Uh, and before that, Close Encounters released, Project Bublis was closed down, um, Project Condon but, report. Yeah, yeah didn't uh, really Roswell come along in 78? I mean, the date would be 47 as the important date, but it's like really yeah, no one yeah. heard about it until like the yeah, 80s, so even that's kind of an 80s-centric thing. So, but he's had yeah, a great. He's was a great decade for ufology, it seems. Yeah, well, that's 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 when I was most aware of it, and I wasn't even aware of it till the end, like '87, when I sort of jumped back into it. Mm. Uh, when I was a young boy. <laughs> <laughs> when he was a young lad. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah, I remember hearing those stories uh, down in Dallas, and I think uh, on other areas I've heard you. It's like, uh, how, yeah, yeah, I heard you on coast. Yeah, yeah where you, how you like became friends with Bill Moore, and it was just such a weird, uh, you know, and you ended up at the thing to make the movie, and it's just like really cool, uh, you know, that you were sort of there. Kind of like how I got mixed up in it, like so long later, you know, at the X conference thing. It's like really, uh, yeah, very parallel. Yeah, at some point you decide you want to get involved, and I just happen to step into somebody that, you know, step into the middle of, like, this huge controversy just by, like, I've heard of him. Maybe I ought to go down to his office and say hi. That's literally what was going on with me at the time. <laughs> and that's how I, feel. I walked one block down the, down the street from Hollywood Boulevard to Bill's office, and he met me, and that's, you know, in 87 or 88 or something. I think it was 87, and I've known him ever since. It's pretty, yeah, it's fortuitous, that's for sure. Yeah, I kind of stumbled into it, and then it just snowballed. And um, knowing him, I, you know, I could hear what, I, I could just go down there and ask him what the hell's going on. And, you know, it's like, oh, well, Stan Friedman's doing this. And, you know, and I just heard from Jim Bosley, and he's trying to do this. And it's like, oh, shit. So I could, I could hear from somebody who was in the middle of it what was going on at the time. And that's pretty remarkable, too, because people, you know, you got to remember, folks, there's no, like, Internet or anything. So people were getting their shit from, like, phone calls and letters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, until, like, 92 or 93 when there really was a sort of an Internet presence. I mean, I, I think I signed up for AOL in, like, 92 or 91 or something like that. And that was, a, it was, that was just so you could that's just so you could look at AOL and have an email. So That's just so they would stop sending you those CDs. Remember that the CDs? They were everywhere. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. With uh, with uh, lectures and videos hey, well, and stuff on. What's that? With lectures and videos, and sometimes like you know, entire collections of uh, uh, documents on them. Oh I no, no, no. I'm talking about I'm talking about AOL. How when AOL first oh, came yeah. along, they. Yeah, they send those damn CDs. It's like sign up for America Online and get online and start surfing the internet. Yeah, yeah. Those CDs were everywhere. I thought I read an article the other day or like a while ago now that was like that in, you know, somehow in retrospect they obviously regret it because there's something like millions of those CDs out there and they they just, just essentially like are, you know, they de- they don't decompose or anything. They're just like shitty shitty uh CDs that are like everywhere. So, that's weird. These UFOs, though, man, I don't know what to make of them. I've, uh, I, I was thinking about it today because uh, I knew we were going to be talking, and it's like I still, I, I, 
I still kind of hold out hope that there are just some aliens coming anyway, so just to just to have a base on all this, even though I think, and maybe they're just, and they understand what all the other stuff is, so they don't really, you know, so there's like parallel things going on, I guess is what I'm saying. I still kind of hope for just the basic, easy-to-understand alien part to be right, plus other stuff, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I, it's funny because people are like, you're so anti-alien and easy. It's like, no, it's just the least interesting thing mm, to yeah. me. To me, it's like, how many times are you going to say that with no, really no proof of it except for what you think that's what it should be or what supposedly aliens have told people? There's, there's no other proof for that. So, uh, you know, examining the rest of the stuff, a lot of which is in the book, is um, is far more interesting to me than figuring out if there's aliens here or not. I kind of don't care. What I care what I care about is, you know, there's something else that's not us. I'm pretty sure of that. So, what form does that take, and how do we how do we um, uh, integrate that into our you know our own uh, our own selves if it happens to us, or even if it doesn't? And more importantly, I guess. How do we integrate it into what everybody thinks and what basis they have for when they when they encounter something like that? Because it's a traumatic experience, and people kind of go what, and they they will latch on to whatever they think is think it is just to make you know just just to have something to latch on to. Because if you don't, you go crazy, right? So um, that that's far more interesting to me than proving if aliens are here or not. It's just that's that's just a non non. What's the word? It's a, it's a non uh, starter, uh, non starter. It's a meaningless question, yeah, to me. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't really grapple with the idea of whether they're whether there's aliens or not. I guess. I guess I just hope that like it seems like the only thing that can really fit into into the, my into the into the the reality that we're all forced to share. I guess is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? So it's like if there's going to be any advancement, I feel like it's going to have to be the easiest explanation for people to digest. So, yeah, well, I, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think we're going to find out the way that we look at things is very intimately connected into the way that the UFO thing interacts with us. It, mm. But nobody's really paid any attention to how we look at things and how we remember things and how we tell stories and what happens in a in a uh, a, a unique and uh, a, a unique and traumatic experience and how that affects people's lives and and their thought processes and. You know, it, it, these are far more important questions, and I think that's where the that, that's where a lot of the understanding is going to be. I've used I've tried to stop using the word answer because I don't know if there's going to be one. So I, I'm trying to use the word you know understand the 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 uh, the, the enigma better. Um, the understanding is you know learning and understanding is more important than answer because answer means you basically say, okay, here's the answer. Most people try to work backwards from an answer they've made up. It's aliens from other planets or whatever it is, or it's demons or whatever. And, of course, that's all they see. Right. Your question right. is, well, your, your question has the answer encoded in it. And with the UFO thing, I don't think there's a very concrete answer there. Right, exactly, yeah. Because you can't – it's like a soap opera. You may get an answer to one question, but it's just going to lead to a whole bunch of other stuff. So who knows yeah, and, what? And no one answer is works for everything. We, you, you, if you look at the UFO thing for any amount of time, no one answer works for everything unless you're, uh, unless you're you you look at it you know you treat it as a religion and you just basically this is what it is. Like well here's fifty other things that don't that don't fit in with your belief system. Well they're not important. Okay that's your opinion. 
Yeah. Well, thankfully, I don't really, I don't hear from, I don't deal much uh, with people who are sort of like ardent EDHers. Uh, who, you know what I mean? It's like most of the people I talk to are pretty open-minded about the subject. You know, because it's yeah, you have to be open-minded about it. Yeah, I don't learn anything that's valuable to me from people who just say it's aliens and that that's what we're trying to do. Uh, that's what we're trying to find out. And I, I think and I hope that uh, the large UFO. Well, there's only one left. Um, I think they're they're uh, diverse enough in their opinions that I, I think and hope. And I heard this from uh, uh, Chase. No, not Chase. Now, I can't remember her name. She's going to be mad at me. Oh, the the woman That's from the, MUFON that you yeah. Yes. No, I can't look it up right now. I I know her I know her uh, fake name on Facebook, and I can't remember her real name. Anyway, what she told I'll, I'll look it up. But what she told me was that there's there there is a wide variety of um, opinion and. Uh, uh, opinion about where research should be going within the structure of MUFON, and they're trying to honor that. I hope that's right. You know, I would be really happy if that's exactly what's going on. Um, you know, I had this idea that, you know, that the, it, it's just this one monumental uh, organization, you know, with a top-down thing or you know, where we're trying to find out what you, you know, we're trying to prove that UFOs are aliens coming from other planets, and she uh, made a, a effort to disabuse me of that idea. Um, Cassidy. Cassidy Nicholas, that's her name. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, you'd hope so, but who the hell, who, who knows with MUFON? I don't even... I just... Yeah. I couldn't even tell you who was in MUFON anymore, except for, like, two people. Not like uh, not like that you ever could really tell anybody. It's like, it's not... It's been rendered uh, irrelevant. It was unfortunate, but, you know... I don't well, know. I hope not, but we'll see. Um, I feel I, like I, it has, but... Yeah, she encouraged me to, to submit a couple of papers. She said, they will look at them, and if they think that you have enough behind them, you can present at the MUFON conference. And I said, oh, fine, I'll do it. So I'm doing an embryonic uh, form of this talk in New Mexico in a couple of weeks at the uh, New Mexico um, Paranormal Forum. I think that's what it's called in Albuquerque on the, what is it? They're having it on May 21st, I think. Yeah. So I'll be in Albuquerque on May 21st with with sort of a, my, what I'm thinking about it now and where I think it should go and where I think I might be going with it, et cetera. And it's, it has, it has, it has everything to do with like what we've been talking about for the past 20 minutes. (laughs) Nice. See that, folks? Greg's all grown up. He's got a book. He's doing speaking engagements. It's unbelievable. I don't know what the... Yeah, when you get laid off of your job, suddenly all this time opens up, and you're really poor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, it's... Uh, yeah, it's vexing. It's vexing, for sure. I, I was... I teased you in the message I sent to you the other night that it was... I had this idea. This is what I was thinking the other day. It started out as a moronic thought, but it became more, uh, somehow it melded into what I will eventually get to. So the idea is like, I was driving around thinking to myself, the in all of history, if we disregard like myths and legends and that kind of thing and, and uh, silliness like that, it may, may very well be true, uh, the myths and legends, but we, for the sake of argument, we have to dismiss them for now. Um, 
for millennia, since the beginning of time, uh, animals could not, they don't talk, right? Even though we, even though we, even though like they, they become anthropomorphized yeah. and all this entertainment media and everything, the, the, at the end of the day, I think like 99.9% of all of us can agree that animals don't talk. Um, and and it, they, there have been like millennia for this to happen and it never has happened. So it's like maybe at the end of the day, we're the animals and whatever the intelligence is, is us. Not literally, but you know what I'm saying? Like we're just the next rung on the ladder and the other thing is – and and it can never be bridged. Like maybe we'll get the technology. May, maybe that's the big human quest to get the technology to bridge that. But until then, it's like we're stuck – we're stuck. Impo- it's impossible to communicate. You know what I mean? Like, like I think it. I think we can agree that it's impossible for animals and us to like have some kind of some kind of communication. So it's almost like that way with. You know, I'm sure there's subtle elements of it, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I think we can communicate on a basic level with some animals, but the thing is that they're. I think that their thought processes are so alien to what we how we think about things that it's, there's no real, you know, intersection. Um, and I don't I think they said that, I think that whales and dolphins think holographically or something like that. They've got a hundred different things going on in their communications. Whereas we have this very linear communication, at least that's the latest I'd heard, which is interesting. So you're thinking, you know, that's one of the essays in the, um, in my book, it's called, I think it's called alien brains and alien thoughts. Um, making the point that you just made, basically, that some things are so different to the way we think that there may be no intersection uh, of of, um, thought process for us to even start communicating whatever this thing is. And I think think there is another intelligence that doesn't exist. I mean, that, that isn't human. I don't know what form that takes. I don't know if it's disembodied or, you know, on another plane of existence or what. I have no idea. But the point of the essay was, and the part I remember is that um, somebody asked Leonard Nimoy, of all people, uh, he directed the Star Trek uh, movie that had the whales in it. Yeah. There was one they had to save whales or something. Um, and they, uh, one of the reporters, a friend of mine was at this, at this, con- this uh, news conference for, this, for the Star Trek 2 or 3 or whatever it was. And they said, do you think whales are smarter than us? And he he said, "Do you think they've evolved to be ahead of us?" And he he said, "I think maybe they've evolved off to the side, in a different direction." To me, that that's a very valuable way to think to to look at it. I mean, they've evolved in a direction that we don't we can't even comprehend because they they're, yeah. they're dealing with a whole different set of of, of factors that have nothing to do with us. Yeah, exactly. That's true. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, and they can be incredibly intelligent, but at the end of the day. It's like that, like I, like you said, the intersection can't be can't be made, and I'm sure that you know. And then if you take in the crazy sort of uh, peripheral elements, there's some people that are like, oh, I, I psychically communicate with animals and stuff, which I don't necessarily believe. But you can also chalk that up to like, well, there are also these moments when weird shit happens between humans and whatever the paranormal is, and we can't really explain yeah. that either. Right. So it's frustrating in a sense because it's like we may just be severely limited. We may be like the dogs talking like in the dog park. Like if we could only, yeah. you know, if we could only get it across to them that da-da-da-da, 
but it can never it can never happen. So no, I don't I don't know if there's any communication possible. I I think their concepts might be possible in some limited way, or you know somebody who has some kind of experience gets a flash of something, and that, you know for the for months or years afterward they're trying to figure out they're trying to figure out how that makes any sense in their mind. And then when it doesn't right. make sense, it's probably really hard to explain to anybody else. It's kind of like having a, you know, a Zen moment or having a really deep psychedelic experience. You can't, you can't, the minute you start putting in language, it's not really what the thing is. So, it defies you know, maybe language. Beyond language. Exactly. And maybe that's part of the reason for the name of the book. Apart from the fact that it's a funny joke that it's a book called It Defies Language that's written in a language. Well, it definitely it it works. Uh, didn't you say like you got it through some kind of you put all the words together somehow, or wasn't there some kind of like alchemical way which you got the title, like a, a technologically alchemical way almost? I did it by cut up. Um, uh, Red Pill said I need a title for this thing so I can finish the artwork, and I just kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And finally, out of desperation, I put I put the I took the introduction I wrote to the book. And put it in yeah. an online cut-up generator, which basically took everything I wrote and scrambled it in, into randomly into you know something that was the same length but had none of the meaning or anything left in it. It just had words and then some phrases and some things that made sense and most things that didn't. So I just I put it in the cut-up generator. I sat down in front of my computer and I just started reading word for word what the cut-up generator had, had put out, you know, you know, and the alien, you know, more, uh, uh, you know, it just, it just completely jumbled the words. And when a phrase came to my mind, either one stuck out or one came to my mind from reading what I wrote, I would write it down. It was kind of this weird, like, altered state I'd have to be, I had to be in to, to try and, instead of being literal about what I was reading, just trying to get the the feeling or... Um, gist or whatever of what was going on, because it was completely random. So I wrote down, like, I don't know, five or six or eight phrases, and one of them was it defies language, and that's the one I used. There you go. Like alchemy. It just seemed like the right one. <laughs> well, it fits. It really works. Uh, it works with the subject, too. It's it's like, uh, we've talked about this before, you know. We, may, we don't even have the words to talk about this stuff. It's so It's so yeah. complex. Why do you keep well, looking, book, though? What do you keep, uh, you know, you, you say you're not like interested in answers, so what what drives you, you think, to keep to still have an interest in this? Because I think everybody who's been in well, this why, a long time you know, kind of struggles play, at times. Yeah. Why do you play a chess game? It's not because you've, it, it, it's sort of to win. I guess that's the, the thing. Okay, why do you study anything? I mean, it, 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 if it's not for some career goal or something, why would you read a book? Why would you... Why would you engage in dancing with anybody? There's no point to it. The, the thing is, the point of the the point of the activity is the dance, not not where you're going to end up on the floor or, you know, uh, uh, how you know if you feel better than anybody else about it, whatever. The point of the dance is just to dance, and there's there's no real point to it, but you get something out of it. And I think that's kind of kind of how I think about the UFO thing. I get so many ancillary things out of it. Um, not the least of which is meeting people like Tim and, and uh, other friends I've met. Um, that that's why I keep wanting to do it. I mean, there's I don't say in the book this is going to be the answer, um, or I think this is the answer. I, there's a lot of maybes and probably's. And yeah. 
it's fun. These maybes and probably are fun to me. I don't care if it's a maybe and a probably because one of the maybes and probabilities might be important. So, you know, at least to me, I'm starting to think that the, the UFO thing might be, like Whitley Strieber said, a lot more an individualized thing than, than where you can just say, this is the thing and have everybody understand. It might be very individual uh, how you look at it and what you get out of it. So yeah, what I get out of it is is intellectual stimulation and meeting intelligent people and uh, uh, being forced to get into uh, interesting situations that uh, I can talk about later. You know, all, all these different things. Yeah. Well, it's just so vexing this question of what what it's all about. But it, it, yeah, it. As you get deeper into it, the, the things you're looking for change anyway. Like you said, you meet cool people, you sort of get, you know, you go down different avenues, different things come up, and it becomes less about the UFOs and more just like about what's the latest yeah. thing you've kind of found? What's the, what's the weird thing that you're – it's like music, you know? It's like you follow down, you kind of get into one artist, and then it leads to another, and next thing you know, it's like, why why do you like country music? It's like, who knows? Yeah, and another thing is, I think that, you know, I, I've got this idea that the more you try and make the thing into the into something, or I'm going to get the answer, or, you know, here is the, the source of the UFO, I think the more you do that, the further you get away from whatever it might be. You've got to be very sneaky and, and nonspecific about it, uh, I think, and it, it's a tough thing to do. I mean, it, it, if you... It, you have to not meet it head on. You have to meet it sideways, <laughs> if, if that makes any sense, uh, for it to start making some kind of a sense. Um, because head on, it hasn't done anything. All it does is get a bunch of people saying, there's aliens coming here, and a bunch of people saying, no, there's not. So what? Right, right. You almost have to, like, catch it in your peripheral, so yeah, to speak, exactly. metaphorically speaking. You know, like, you can't you can't try and look for it, but... If it's kind of coming in on the side, you, you know, you can kind of like you get a little bit of a sense of what the hell's going on. That's about it's about yeah, as good you as you can UFO really do. Yeah, understanding comes in soft focus. There, there's the quote. There you go. <laughs> well, it's well, now what? Tell me the story about this dude. I'm trying to remember the story. I botched it all up, but he. He um he came to you with like information and stuff. It was back. It was in the section in the book where you were sort of talking about uh, the government messing with you, I believe. And uh, and he eventually like disappeared. And then he and then then I think you had heard that he died or something. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, Mike Younger. Yeah, what is this story? This is another character in the book that I was like, I I I don't I. I've known you for a long time. I'm pretty sure you've heard told this story or something, but I, I, it was like new to me when I read it, and I was like, Dude, "What is this? What is, what happened with this thing? Did this guy really die? You think, or did he just like change his name and get out of whatever the hell he was mixed up in messing with you about?" I'm pretty sure he died. Um, uh, a friend of mine that knew his family quite well, um, uh, he, he had a wife and, and I think at least one kid, maybe two kids, and. Uh, he did. He did die. He died in '99. Okay. Something like that. But That's the how weird the story is, because I was like, yeah. "What is this?" So tell 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 folks this story, and uh, let's let's hear about it. When I was putting out the magazine with my friends uh, Peter Stensel and Robert Larson, who helped co-found the magazine, um, 
I had somebody write to me, uh, Richard Saraday, who's uh, co-hosts um, Don Ecker's show um, with him occasionally on Fridays. Um, but Richard wrote to me and he said, "This, you know, you got a really interesting magazine. I've got. Why don't you come over and talk to me?" So I talked to him and we found out that we had some similar interests and we got along very well. And within a few months of that, he got contacted because he was writing for UFO magazine for a few other places. He got contacted by this guy who said he was in naval intelligence and he wanted to, you know, release information and uh, make people aware of what the Navy thought because everybody concentrated on the Air Force. Um, and eventually, uh, this guy found, you know, I met him, um, I don't know, probably six or eight times total. But I met him and, he, you know, he would he would uh, show me, like, photos he said came from Area 51 of these strange things flying around. He gave me, uh, he wrote something like three whole volumes of, like, this secret history of the United States and of the world and what the power structure is and um, what the CIA had been doing and uh, what was going on at Area 51, et cetera, et cetera. I still have these Jesus, I'd like to read them. They sound fascinating. Are they like full of crazy, like sort of Bill Coopery conspiracy thoughts? Mm, not so much. I mean, it has that stuff that's a little less. It seems a little less wacky, at least to me. Okay. I haven't looked at them in years. They scared the crap out of me. In fact, I hid them for a while, thinking somebody would break in my house and take them, and I'd get in trouble with all that. Um, I feel like that. I feel like there's something in there worth looking at. Looking at. Or four or something. No, I better, you know, I what I the hell? Look at it again. I mean, they were long. They were like basically three whole books. Um, but he, he actually he, he Richard had them, and then um, he gave permission for them to be copied. So we had to actually go down to Kinko's and stand there while they copied them to make sure they didn't <laughs> make an extra copy. That's how paranoid I was. Um, and then they bound them up for me, like, uh, and and I, I took them home, but. Uh, and I read through them. But, you know, he would tell me things like, you know, people could, he said it was very easy for people to uh, look at what was on my computer screen and find out. And this was in the 90s when nobody knew about cyber snooping and all that stuff. Um, and to find out what I'd been looking at and, you know, break into my house whenever they wanted and stuff. And I, I knew this, but, you know, intellectually I knew this. But then he started telling me that could happen, it could happen to you. And so he freaked me out. I got very paranoid for about a year or so. I thought people were, you know, uh, well, there were phone calls coming in, like, all every day for months. I'd get phone calls where they'd, be, like, pick it up and there's nobody there or some kind of weird noise. And if I didn't answer, the thing would ring, you know, for if I didn't have the answering machine on. In fact, that's why I got one, finally, because I got sick of hearing the phone ring 40 times in a row. <laughs> And you know, and, the, and the, when the when the when the answering machine would pick it up, it would hang up. So after that, you know, it only rings two or three. In fact, I think because of the answering machine, the 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 call stopped after a while. And you know, people were opening the mail, and I knew they were because if you if somebody wants to open your mail, and they don't want you to know it. It's very easy, but it was yeah. obvious that mail had been opened. Um, and uh, a guy pulled up in front of the house and took a picture one time when I was looking out the window. When I ran out to the front to see what it was, he drove away really quickly. It's like all these weird things were going on. There was a guy, you know, I had this one episode I talked about in the book where the, the, um, I thought my landlord upstairs was, was, or somebody upstairs, it was my landlord's unit in the apartment, was walking into the same rooms that I was at the same time 
for about 10 minutes at like two in the morning. And it really scared me. It's like, why is this person walking to the same room? I could hear the floorboards creaking as I walked around in the apartment and they were always right above me. And I don't know what that was until I went in my room, remembering what he had said about typing stuff on your screen. And I, I made this font really big in Microsoft Word, I think, and I wrote, I typed out, I know what you're doing, stop it now, and it stopped. <laughs> That's so weird. Yeah, oh, I my God. I and I was so paranoid and freaked out. I didn't go up and ask him. I didn't go, were you walking around? Here? I was too scared to ask. You know, I was What did you do paranoid. after that? Just kind of like, just, just kind of like look around at the ceiling asked, and walk around? Yeah, he asked, yeah, he acted no differently than any, any, and that's the only time that happened. It's like, okay, I guess it was a coincidence, but for, I don't know, at least five minutes and probably ten minutes, I walked around my apartment and heard the person upstairs going into the same rooms I was at the same time I was. Weird. So, you know, Weird. incredibly ridiculous coincidence. Because I'd stop and then, like, is this really happening? Then I'd walk really quickly to the back room and I'd hear the footsteps above me walking really quickly to the back room getting more and more and more and more scared at the, at every minute. So, And finally, I just decided I, I was tired of being paranoid. I stopped, I, over a period of a few months, I just, just stopped being paranoid. And a lot of this stuff stopped. So, I, think that, I think that that scenario there was, like, created by your mind, honestly. Because you sound like you're getting more terrified as it's happening, and I think that amps up the energy. I think it, like, I'm becoming more and more convinced that these things, a lot of this is... A manifestation of the mind, and, you know, like you said, you're yeah, super paranoid I at the time. I imagine it's not like it didn't happen, but it's like you, the more the more energy, like you got all amped up, and that and that fueled this thing to like become more tulpified, yeah. as I like to say. Well, the other thing you, you just reminded me of, I thought of something when you said that. It's like maybe that kind of shit goes on all the time, but you don't really think about it. <laughs> Until you're paranoid, you're not tuning into that paranoid, you know, wavelength where you would notice that, you know? That makes sense because people who get really into synchronicities all of a sudden see them like everywhere. So it's like kind of yeah, in a way you, like that. Yeah, you, you tune – I think you tune your brain to it. It's like you you, you, you tune the paranoid station in and that, that's your station for a while. And uh, there's all kinds of other stations with nice stuff and beautiful relationships and, and, and exciting part, exciting lives, and you're not tuned into that right now. You're tuned in all the scary stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. It's, uh, yeah, it's spooky stuff. Yeah. Well, I thought that, I mentioned this, uh, I'm on the, I'm on uh, Soraya's show, the midweek show. Uh, I know you were on yeah. on Saturday, so it's like this is all just one big incestual stew <laughs> here this week. Yeah, so it's I'm terrible, on the. Trying to sell some books. So. <laughs> oh no, I don't care about that. Oh please, I, it's all good. I think it's just funny. Like uh, we're all in, in sort of different uh, shows, but uh, I we were talking about sort of this idea that these things come from the mind. And uh, in case folks don't hear that interview that I was on, I'll sort of repeat this idea that came to me during the thing. It was like, what if, uh, sort of similar to this footsteps thing, it's like, what if the UFOs and maybe other stuff too, um, one big thing that seems to come up, we talked about talking to these people that have these experiences, and a lot of times they're in like a state of turmoil or a, a liminal state. And it's like maybe, maybe, in the midst of all that, there's some kind of like subconscious block that they're struggling with, 
and it eventually just like breaks in the form of this hallucination of sorts, whatever the paranormal event is. And, you know, then later on, even if they don't put two and two together, maybe like a week or so later, they're like, you know what, I'm going to go back to school. I decided. And it's like, then all of a sudden everything changes in there, and that, that lets off the pressure. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe, yeah, like you said, maybe it's a, uh, what? A, a, release valve a, a, or something. Release valve or something, an indication that you should be doing something different or whatever. It, it, it's uh uh, pops you out of your uh, habitual modes of thinking. Yeah, exactly. I certainly think that seems uh, – that's why we need to, like, talk to people. It would be interesting to see, like, you talk to people that have UFO sightings. It's like you – be interesting to sort of follow up with them even further down the road. Not necessarily, like, years, but, like, a couple weeks, month or two, six months, and be like, yeah. see if there was any big change in their life. You know, not immediately, but right soon afterwards. Like, I'm going to get married. It's time to settle down. It's like, all right, well, maybe that's why you saw that UFO back in April. Yeah, maybe. I When I uh, talked to Valet in February, um, I said I've been whining about I said, I've been really kind of whining about this thing about having people uh, follow up with witnesses. And I went into it for about 15 seconds, and I said, wait, that's your idea. Yeah. <laughs> I took that from you, didn't I? And he started cracking up. Well, Which he had some good ideas. It, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's uh, people are all, they're just interested in the event. They're not interested in what led up to it. They're not interested in what came after it. They're not interested in the person's state of mind beforehand and afterwards. All these things are, I think, really intimately connected at, it, with the uh, experience itself. Um, and no, everybody kind of, it's like the dog looking at the, at the finger pointing. They don't look at what it's pointing at. Exactly. It's, uh, so yeah, I feel like it's, that kind of goes back to the whole E.T. thing, though, too, at the end of the day, where it's like, I think it could be from the mind, but I, I, I'd like to hope that there's aliens out there, too, just because I've seen, <laughs> like, like talking animals, I've seen so many aliens that it would be unfair that there weren't actual aliens, but who knows. Well, I think there's something else that's not us, and I'm, I'm almost I'm as sure as, of that as I can be. Although that is open to uh, uh, amendment, I don't know yet. You know, I, that I, there's a there's an essay in there on the the, the skeptical technique of zeteticism, which mean which is uh, active active uh, uh, controlling of your your inquiry your inquiry. So that is, it is neither uh, absolutely believing or absolutely not believing, because those are both states of mind where you not, where you shut off information. And to try and keep that uh, that state of mind going for the, for a long time, maybe forever, on a question is very difficult. But it's it's I think it's really important with this just to keep your you know ab- absolute uh, neutrality as much as long as you can possibly do. We gotta spread this stuff around. Let's put it on the internet. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Great heavens. What kind of radio show is this? Here's an interesting thing I, I liked in the book was, uh, it's ironic actually, because you, you put forward the idea of UFO as a sort of an art project, but also in the book you have uh, why you sort of uh, take a skeptical look, let's say, at the 
at UFOs and Renaissance paintings, which always comes up and stuff. So I, I don't think I've read a, a thoughtful thing, and I saw that you you know you were pretty well versed in art history. So what what's the story with this? We could maybe put that one to rest. Well, I don't know if it's going to put it to rest for everybody. No, I know, but for us, for all the I show. Was, <laughs> yeah, we were. You know, I was. My only academic degree is in art history. Really, goddamn useful degree. Um, but uh, the, the, I thought, you know, maybe I could take a look at, uh, uh, you know, look at the subject since I have some interest in it, and I kind of know if something, you know, somebody's talking about art or an art historian's talking about art, I will know what they're talking about. Um, and this guy, uh, this Italian art historian said, you know, why don't I take a look at these claims about there being UFOs in Renaissance paintings and see what, see what I can come up with. And this was published in like Skeptic Magazine, so of course everybody hated it. Um, but his point was, <laughs> uh, you know, what, what are these symbols? Uh, what are these things? Are they symbols? Are they flying fossils? What are they? And after doing a bit of research, he found out that uh, there there's a long history of of symbols of of round things in the sky with rays coming out of them. And they're ba- basically it's it's to depict uh, it's to depict God in a in a non uh, what's the word not non personified way. It's like the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's just it's just this glowing thing. You know, right, like it would be tasteless uh, to draw him as a person, they, so they made him a, 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 an object of some kind. Yeah. So and the thing is, in, in the one painting that I have in the uh, that I illustrate in the book, I think it's actually people called it the Madonna of the UFO, which is really good. Um, in the background, I think, I think that, you know there's a, a virgin and, and, and Jesus in the front in the foreground, but in the background there's this glowing thing in the sky with little golden rays coming out of it. This little round, it's not particularly, a, it, it, I guess it's sort of round. It looks kind of, looks kind of not, it's indistinct blob, but it's got these golden rays shooting out of it. But underneath, there's, a, there's this man standing there with a dog, and they're both looking up at it. In fact, he has his hand over his eye looking up. Um, the, uh, apparently, that that is a standard way to depict I think it was a story of the Bible of a shepherd looking up and seeing, you know, God in the sky or something. And it's, it's, yeah. it's present in a lot of other paintings. Um, the, 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 uh, the problem with the, uh, with the article that I wrote, when I re- referenced this, is people were saying, oh, well, it looks like a UFO, but of course it's not. It's like, well, you know, did you even read anything the guy said? <laughs> the 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 point was that there was a precedent for this in in as as a symbol in, in Renaissance art going you know for a few hundred years and especially during that period I guess there was you know that was painted in Florence there was some kind of movement in Florence where you're not supposed to depict you know God like you know in 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 the Florence in the Sistine Chapel um, there God is depicted that famous one of God like touching Adam's finger big yeah. big bearded guy flying on the clouds. Um, at that, you know, a, a few, a couple hundred years after that, when this painting was made, the people were they're kind of down on depicting, depicting the deity in 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 a in, in some sort of uh, uh, base format such as painting. And like it was almost like you know, almost like the uh, the uh, Muslim thing where you can't depict the prophet or anything holy like that, any people. Um, that, right, that's right. against the religion. So again. At this point, it was against their religion to depict uh, 
you know, the, the, uh, the God as a, as a person, just as it's, it's just as a, you know, as a force or something like that. So they, you know, have this golden shiny thing. And that, that was, yeah, it makes that sense the, too. Cause it's like, you can't really make him a, tr- a tree or a, you can't, you have to make it something like even like something supernatural. So it would have to be like anyway, a weird yeah. unexplainable yeah, this, ball or something. This made sense to me. I don't really care if there's UFOs in Renaissance paintings. I, I couldn't care less. Um, I thought it was interesting for a long time. For the longest time, I thought, well, maybe there's UFOs in you know, Renaissance painting. No, there probably isn't. Um, and I got so many people so mad. It's like, okay, this is it. I guess you're just a big skeptic. It's like, no, what? I examined something and it made sense to me. And they said, you know, they said, okay, so there's been no UFOs depicted ever. And I said, did you read the title? It says <laughs> UFOs in Renaissance paintings explained, not UFOs all throughout history in every in everything that men have ever done explained. You know, <laughs> and, and, yeah. how about the Nuremberg sky battle? I don't know what happened then, but there's there's that woodcut of all those weird things floating in the sky. Um, oh, and there was another one. There was a uh, a painting, a fresco from uh, Kosovo, I think. Um, I think of the crucifixion, and in the corners there's these two little orbs with rays coming off of them, and these beings inside it. It looks like they're flying in spaceships, I guess. But but the thing is that it, it, there are many other examples of of, uh, of uh, humanoid-looking things in floating orbs. They're supposed to be the sun and the moon. It's just a natural. It, it was a it was a accepted way to depict the the sun and the moon and the and the I guess the spirit of the sun and the moon or something like that. Um, it's yeah. nothing to do with flying saucers or be, beings in 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 flying you know uh, vehicles. It, you know it could well, be. I, I, yeah, I, it could I, be. I, I I tend to go with the easier, more mundane uh, uh, thing that makes sense. Um, yeah, I agree but with but you. But that was the the other so the other argument that goes along with what you're saying is like the these were pretty I presume they were kind of relatively well known painters and stuff so it's like that that would be like that would be like if someone made a movie nowadays like a real movie like a regular movie okay a romantic comedy not a science fiction movie folks uh, and and just had a UFO flying in the background like that that would be kind of like it would mean that like it, these were everyday things that people would know about back then and I think we have enough knowledge of that era to know that fucking not a whole bunch of people were mentioning UFOs flying around you know like it, they, they're depicted almost commonplace in these paintings and it's like then clearly we have no record of them being commonplace to the people there so it doesn't make sense well I don't know if they were commonplace but there's some of them there's some of them that basically look like you know the clouds parting and light coming through. It's like, okay, that's the, that's supposed to be uh, the supreme being with the clouds parting and light coming through. But then there's others where it's, you know, a round thing with, with golden rays coming out of it. And that's where people's like, they've got this idea that what they think is a flying saucer that people in 15th and 14th and 15th and 16th century Florence thought was a flying saucer. That, that doesn't make any sense to me. They, they have completely different ideas about the way things should look than we do. Right, 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 right. But you have to. Well, what I'm saying though is, like the the average villager and scrub wasn't seeing like you, even like the kings or whatever. The, the UFOs weren't like an everyday thing that people would see. It would be like if someone put a plane in the painting. It's like not. That wouldn't make any uh-huh. sense from the paint from the painter's point of view to put some mysterious flying craft if no one even really knew what the hell he was talking about. So it would have to be something like it would have to be God. 
Well, that makes that any sense. What the excuse people make for that was that they had seen something, and then it, it was uh, they wanted to depict the strange thing they'd seen in the sky and associate it with with uh, some kind of divine origin, which I I could be. But like I said, the more mundane explanation makes more sense to me. And the other thing is that. Uh, when people painted these things, when the artists painted these things, the church was very, very, very strict about what they should be painting. They couldn't do whatever they wanted. You know, within reason, I guess they could. But if, if they'd come in and say, what the hell is this thing here? You know, what's right, right, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a weird UFO. That's something, that's something weird that somebody saw in the sky. So what it put it painting. They would have said, get that out of there. Yeah, so, they would have been like, yeah, you're going to jail. Yeah. <laughs> So the fact that they're very heavily controlled and the the, 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 the symbols and the symbols used and the way they're depicted are very heavily controlled and very, uh, and and in a lot of ways standardized, makes more sense to me than UFOs flying around. Um, Yeah. And that's fine. I don't, I don't care if that, you know, I don't care when things are explained and we move on. (laughs) Right, right. That's the... That's why I like it, because like I said, we closed the book on it in a sense. Because I had really never, I never saw, I never, really, I, I've seen that those things a million times, but until I looked at the book, I really never thought about it. Because it's like, oh wait, that makes sense. I didn't, I didn't you know? either until I saw something online where that guy was saying, "Look, this is what it is." And first, I was like, "Oh God, this is in Skeptic Magazine, whatever." And I started reading it, and I was like, well, "Makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense to me." I. Uh, I didn't even hate to say it. I was just kind of like, yeah, that makes sense. I, 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 will no, I will no longer wonder about strange floating golden orbs and Renaissance things. <laughs> <laughs> That's good when you can check that off. You don't have to. <laughs> you don't have to deal with that. So. Anyway, it's yeah. reasonable to be, and yeah, maybe something will come along and change my mind back. But for right now, that that was kind of a. It was like a very tiny little revelation that something was not what I thought it was. No, well, like I said, it makes sense. Uh, makes sense in the sense that it's like it just it's it's like that old Occam's Razor thing, you know. It's like the the odds of some of like all these people trying to hide crazy alien ships in a in a painting is just not makes sense to me, you know. But it's amazing that yeah. like people latch onto it, like they don't. I mean, I just never gave it any thought. But there are people, <laughs> like you said, that got angry that it's like, what do you, what do you? <sighs> That's a thing, I think. Uh, you know, I, I find myself still wondering about this, but, like, if I ever find myself getting angry about this, that's when I'll be like, all right, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, like, I don't understand the people that get, like, angry about all, any of this shit. It's like, it's just, it's supposed to be fun yeah. in a way. I don't know. You know? When I start getting emotional, when I get an emotional reaction to something that somebody's talking to me about, especially with these UFO stuff, I really have to examine why I think that way. Because if, yeah. if I get emotional about, it, emotional about it, it means I have an emotional, emotionally based belief in it, which is not a good thing. So, you know, if, if, if it's going to shut down your, your you're going to start filtering things based on your belief system, which is, which is bad. So I'm, I'm really on the lookout when somebody comes up with a question to me or accuses me of something and I get a very, I start getting emotional. There, there's something wrong there. Um, if somebody asked me a question, I'd be like, well, I thought of it because it's this and this and this and this, and it seemed to make sense to me, um, which is open. To, it, it, it is open to be 
everything I think is, you know, except for moral questions, are pretty much open to uh, uh, amendment. And if something is not open to amendment, I've got to figure out why it's not open to amendment anymore. Um, and there's, there's shades from, you know, almost certainly not open to amendment to pretty open to changing my mind if new information comes along. But, yeah, that, that's a warning sign when there's an emotional reaction. When I feel threatened by somebody's uh, opinion, uh, the, the, I shouldn't. I shouldn't feel emotionally threatened by somebody's opinion because it's just an opinion. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like unless it's your mother's, you know, then that, then you might have a reason <laughs> to be like <laughs> emotional reaction. But otherwise, it's like no, it's not. Yeah. I've been, I can't. I've been I can't. I will say this because we're live in a sense. Well, we are live. Uh, I, I can't. I don't even want to talk about this. I don't know why I'm even saying it, but I can't believe um, this is like breaking news in a sense. It happened like three hours ago, but uh, I can't believe Ted Cruz dropped out of the race. I figured he was going to hang out till the end to try and steal it from Donald Trump. Now it looks like Donald Trump's actually one person away from becoming the president. It's unbelievable. Scary. That's all. Yeah, I, I don't talk about politics almost ever, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I was like, uh, that that man is is he's crazy. <laughs> yeah, he's one away now. It's crazy. That's the thing. I figured they were going to steal it from him, but now it looks like they're not going to steal it from him. So it's it's like that was my that was my hope. I'm like, ah, oh, they'll never let him even get that far. Now it's like, oh shit. But we'll see what happens. Did you I don't read like that article? One of his staffers, I think his head staffer, at, the, at one point said that he just did it as kind of as a joke at first, and then it it became a thing where he had to win because he because yeah. uh, was uh, well Trump does not lose. So when it became not a joke and not a, just a silly thing he was doing, he got got it into his head that he has to win. So that's that's the way he is right now because he's he's a winner, you know. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, there's a million. In a way, it's good. Uh, I guess it's just—it's like I don't know. I'm in a, I'm in a weird position because I feel like uh, the—I'm getting off of that in a sense because it's like I feel—and you know, as as uh, you know, maybe some of the listeners probably know, but I, uh, most do, or some do that. You know, I'm I'm kind of a news junkie now, and I've really gotten deep into the paranormal news, and I feel like this is a a good year for UFOs. Uh, not necessarily, it's yes and no because of this Hillary Clinton thing. I don't even give a fuck about what she's going to do. I don't think she's going to do anything. That's beside the point. Let's put that to the side because I, I think that's a, a red herring. Uh, but yeah. I feel like the, the whole, her whole advocacy is a fascinating and really great litmus test to see what the hell how it gets covered by the media and, and how it gets treated. So it's that I find really interesting. You know, I'm always kind of interested in that kind of thing. So I don't know. It's because yeah. it's funny because she's pretty much, well, if Donald Trump's one person away from the presidency, she's one person away from the presidency too. And it's like, it's like, I, I'm, it's pretty profound. I was asking somebody, the Carter thing, I think, did he mention UFOs before or after he got elected? Do you remember? I think it was after. Okay, so it's pretty crazy that someone would even be such an advocate for all this shit, even though I think that she's kind of a phony advocate. But even just to be an advocate in the first place and bring it up is interesting. It's like the other day I saw within hours uh, CNN and 
CNN, and uh, the Weekly Standard, which is like some big-time conservative uh, magazine, both put out articles on, on, the ufo- on ufology and UFOs and shit. So it was like, that's interesting. I know a lot of people from ufology, I guess, were interviewed for the CNN piece because Melinda Leslie mentioned it on Facebook. But it's like, I feel like UFOs are hot all of a sudden. And it's like because of that in a way. But then at yeah. the same time, it's like it's not getting the, I don't know. It's, it's, the only people that ask her about it are the fucking are comedy hosts and shit. Like they don't even, they don't even mention it in the debate or anything. It's ridiculous. At least bring that up. They talk about everything else. I think what she's trying to do is, is it, things are so crazy. That's, that's the other thing that, that wouldn't even be taken seriously four years ago. And now it's taken halfway seriously because I think she's trying to court the UFO vote. <laughs> I, I think really so think too, that. yeah. Why, well, why even pay attention to it unless you think it's going to get you? Well, maybe she sees the. Maybe she sees. Now, yeah. Maybe maybe she's trying to appeal to sort of like the paranoid anti-establishment, so she figures that they they dig on UFOs. So who knows? But yeah, well, exactly. that Podesta guy, I guess, is a big. You know, yeah. I think he he got really into this shit. It's so. Head, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, if I was him, I wouldn't. I would keep my my mouth shut. I wouldn't talk anymore about this shit because I'd be worried about she gets elected and then next thing you know, they're like something happens to him. But who knows? Sometimes yeah, weird things do to these people. Like, remember that uh, that guy? Wasn't he like a congressman who tried to get into Area 51? Then he died a few years later. Stephen Schiff or what? something like that. No, I don't remember that. Uh, somebody like Stephen. I thought his name was Stephen Schiff. Maybe someone in the chat room can remember it. But oh, you know what? Anyway, yeah. But yeah, I find that interesting. Just that uh, we'll get a good idea of what the hell is really going on. With what people think, I guess, in a sense, because no one really, yeah. all the articles I see, they just treat her saying this shit like it's crazy talk, which it is. But you know, it's kind of disappointing, but also it's getting UFOs out there. Yeah, I guess so. it would be interesting to see. And then there was that big story that uh, Chris Rutkowski was uh, interviewed about a lot about the UFO reports in Canada over the last years. So. Right, right, yeah. I'm just seeing a lot more UFO news. I don't know if it's. Just because I'm mixed up in the news more now, or if it's, uh, or if it really is, there's more UFO news. But it seems, seems like more. And you know, it's hard to, it's hard to get a handle on it all, in a lot of ways. There's a little bit more. There's even there was even some uh, uh, Phoenix lights over the Phoenix airport a, a few weeks ago. Now, oh, tell me about Pamela Stonebrook. This is someone else you mentioned in, in your. You you make a lot of sort of like friends that that fade away from all this, so it's kind of interesting. Like uh, there were there were players in, in these things. Didn't you? Is she still alive? But she's out of the field now. Yeah, she's uh, completely not involved with it at all. Um, I met her in the late '90s. Pamela Stonebrook was the person that claimed that she was having sex with lizard aliens <laughs> and enjoying it. <laughs> well, that's always and, good. Yeah. Yeah, she said she she said it was great. So, and it turned out she lived like two miles from me. So uh, we started hanging out, and I think I was getting divorced at the time, and she was like, she got out of a relationship, and so we just basically, I guess we were crying on each other's shoulders. And uh, and like I said in the article, no, nothing happened. We didn't we didn't get involved. Um, we just remained friends. And I don't know what the funny thing is. The whole time I hung out with her, I never had that thought like, hey, maybe I could. I just didn't. 
And she's, you know, she's a very attractive woman. She's, you know. And she's well, smart. you're no reptilian, she's, Greg. Know. Yeah, I guess not. You can't compete um, with that. Uh, yeah. But we, uh, the thing was, to me, it was just like, well, here's somebody that, you know, it, it was, to me, it was like, meeting, it was, she was like a contactee and a whole bunch of other stuff rolled up into one. To me, she was like a, a weird sort of rock star. Um, and did, did she talk about her weird experiences with you, or was it like this is a play? Uh, this is like sort of a friendship where she could, she could be away from that. I think it was more like that. I mean, she knew that I knew what she talked about and that I'd heard it, um, and I didn't, you know, I I didn't I didn't dig into it with her. I didn't say, well, then what happened? It was like I just basically we, we just hung out and talked about other stuff about UFO people and people in the field and what was going on and what was Bill Moore doing and. You know, and, and we didn't really talk about her, you know, lizard sex stuff. We just didn't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we might have once or twice, but it wasn't. It wasn't like the central part of why we hung out. Mm. Um, and she, uh, I was working on that show, Conspiracy Zone, for uh, its whole run. It was on for two seasons, and she lived like <laughs> they shot the studio where they shot it. She lived like four blocks away. So I, I suggested her as a guest once, and she was on. They loved her. It was great. Um, you know, it make, makes great television. Like I said, people would write stories about it. They'd write themselves. I mean, what the hell? Having sex with lizard aliens? I don't you know. You know you, <laughs> what else do you need to say? So um, at one time she was on my show. She was on my radio show. It's on, it's on the Radio Mysteriosa site. If you go down, like, you know, 10 pages down. <clears throat> She was on the show. She um, she was a singer too. She was a jazz singer. She was, and she had a, a um, she had a uh, album that she recorded about her like uh, uh, not not Dalliances. so much. Uh, yeah, I guess so. It was more. It was more like you know there were probably a couple that were you know sex oriented in a way that could be in a song, but there were also ones. Most of them were just like philosophical musings on what what it was like to have contact it was called experiencer actually that was the name of her album um and it was you know wonderfully produced and the one the music was great and her her voice was incredible and you know she was a good singer she was a really good singer um and uh she was on my show and i played part of the album i also said what music do you like she said billy holiday so i played billy holiday and there was a big, long introduction to one of the songs. Like, if, you know, I don't know how many bars, but, you know, the thing the, the didn't start for like a minute and a half. And, and Pamela started singing near the beginning of the song. And then she, as soon as she stopped, Billie Holiday came in. And she sort of had a Billie Holiday-ish voice, so it was a really cool little moment. And I think that's on the show that I posted. And, and we and also read a, a big... We read a big long list of, of of terms that apparently would make the NSA uh, uh, pay attention to you. So we read them all uh, out loud on the air. <laughs> nice. I don't even want to. Yeah, interesting. And then she just disappeared. Did she just drops out of the scene. Well, she met. A, I think she started corresponding. She, you know, she's a woman. She wanted to get involved with somebody else. Well, everybody does. And she started corresponding with a guy in Houston, I think, that knew about her. She went out to visit him, and then I guess that they hit it off. She moved there. I don't know if they got married or what, but she stayed. There. I think she's still there. Interesting. Yeah. But no, no more UFO stuff. She, I don't even know if she cares about it, and I haven't really had any contact with her. But you know, for for a couple of years in there, we had a really good friendship, and, it, and we had a lot of fun. I mean, we just I went down to 
I went down to the MUFON meeting in Irvine, not too far from, like 50 miles from L.A. She knew John Max, the, you know, the abduction researcher. Um, yeah. I guess he wrote an introduction to her book that was not released. Um, but when we were there, I, we walked in to watch Stephen Greer speak, and, and we sat down next to uh, – Pamela and I sat down next to John Max. He said, hey, Pamela, and they, they hugged and they talked a little bit. They, he introduced, she introduced us, and I talked to him for a little bit. And then about halfway through Greer's speech, uh, John Mack rolled his eyes and said, I got better, better things to do and walked, got, got up and walked out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know what, yeah. Well, well that's interesting. It's, uh, yeah. We go out to lunch yeah. all the time. She wore, she wore clothes that she got at vintage clothing stores, so she basically looked like some glamorous 40s or 50s starlet. It was, it was, and everybody would stop and talk to her and stare. It was, it was like I said, it was like being with a rock star to me. But they didn't know her from from being the reptilian lady. No, they didn't know if she was famous or not, but she looked it. Okay, which is yeah. Why yeah. they know? She would project that. Yeah. So it was. And well, a few people did know her, so you know. Well, it's just cool. It speaks to an interesting time, like I said earlier, about how you became friends with Bill Moore and shit. It's like you had to get you had to get local back then, you know. You had to kind of know people in the area and shit. That doesn't really nowadays. I advise against it. <laughs> like you don't know who you're gonna who you're gonna run into because there's uh, all kinds of weird people out there. But yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Like you, you know, you're like, oh, she lived two miles from me, so we just started hanging out. It's like, wow. Yeah, it's it's probably also because you know one I didn't really care. Who she, I mean, I didn't, I did not. I neither denigrated her nor thought she was something big and special. I just thought she was a cool person I like to hang out with. I mean, that's that's what the basis of it was until we became friends like that. Yeah, yeah, it's the shared interest of the phenomenon in a way. That's how you come across each yeah, other. Yeah, exactly. So it's like... And then she knew all of you know, She knew about the history of it and everything. We talk about you know what happened with Blue Book. Do you think? What do you think Bill Moore was doing? Did he tell you this? And you know, so you know, she was vitally interested in the subject to begin with, anyway. So that was another thing right. we talked about a lot. Well, it seems like the whole era of the cloak and daggery part of this has kind of dissipated. But I don't know what. I don't if the government's even involved in any way. You think it's like some kind of almost like the Serpo thing was relatively recently. So it's like you think it's kind of like moved into some kind of digital realm where. Maybe they float a UFO video or something to see what happens. Or, I mean, I'm trying to think what the government could possibly want to do nowadays with ufology in the first place. Uh, nothing, really. No. Um, because I don't think that it, there's some connection still. Because I think they, there's things, things that are flown and tested and all that, and they want to see what people notice and what they think and all that. But I don't think they're I don't ever think they're into let's let's spread stories to send to keep UFO researchers off the trail so that they don't find out what UFOs are. I don't think that ever happened. Um, if it did, I'd be surprised. Um, I mean, um, it may have, I suppose, in a limited way, but I don't think that was the main thing of uh, 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 anybody in the government because I don't think they ever thought the UFO people were onto anything anyway any more than they were. Um, and there's yeah. really nothing to lead them astray off of because they didn't, I don't think they knew much more than the government. Um, but if it had to do with a, uh, some kind of a secret program, yeah, I think that they, they use it as a tool 
Um, and I, I admit I'm biased because of the Benowitz thing, but um, and that's you know that, that's how I see any kind of any type of uh, uh, announcement where you know there's an insider telling you what's going on. But I always think, no, it's not. What what are they really doing here? Otherwise, it wouldn't bother. And I don't think it has anything to do with revealing information. It has more to do with you know what do people know? Who do they know? Um, how much do they know? And uh, is it going to affect anything negatively uh, with defense or intelligence? Mm. Yeah. Well, that's the, if anything, it's ironic in a sense, because I discount them, uh, the exopolitical thing. But if there's government, uh, if there's government silliness going on, I would, I would think that it would be in that realm less than the UFO research realm, because the UFO research realm is completely like dead uh, relatively, and not certainly compared to the old days. And at least there's some sort of like activity going on in that thing. Maybe they'd be interested in like who's giving money to this? Where's this? Who who are the people? Who are they talking to? You know, are there people like spilling secrets they shouldn't? That you know, maybe some dudes like I saw a UFO at this place, and it's like, dude, you you saw something that was top secret to the government. Just shut up. Stop talking to these people. You know. Yeah, or more likely, if somebody's saying that, they come out and tell them, yes, you did see UFO, and we're going to tell you all about it, and then proceed to lead the person completely astray from what the thing actually was, and more towards a, you know, a uh, uh, mysterious UFO explanation, because um, that's what they want to hear. And when somebody from the government comes and tells you that they've got inside stuff, and that you're the person they want to talk to, of course you're going to be flattered and listen to anything they say. Yeah. So, it's, yeah, well, like I said, I think that would be the only realm they'd even be interested in, because, like, at least there'd be, uh, they'd get an idea who might be sort of causing trouble, but, what's up? I was talking to Sigrid, sorry. My wife. Oh, did you ever, wasn't this, like, the other big thing we talked about all the time, did you ever identify Falcon to be... Did you ever write – did that come up in the book? Did you ever write the Falcon part in the book? Because wasn't that your big quest for a long time? Yeah, well, I put it in the book. Um, I gave a talk about it online a few years ago. Um, what happened was that uh, that Bill Moore knew who Falcon was. He figured it out, he told me, um, and he said Falcon was kind of freaked out when he figured it out. Um but he said he wouldn't tell me because he wasn't supposed to tell me. But if I guessed, you know, that story. Yeah. Jesus. So for so a period calm. of months, I tried to guess. And, you know, I came up with a whole bunch of different things. He's like, no, 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 no. And finally, he, I think he got tired of me asking because we went out somewhere in the you know, middle of nowhere on a hike and he told me. Um, and I said, wait a second, that, that guy's been on my radar. I just didn't think he was a likely suspect. So um, it turned out it was this guy that used to be in the OSS, and he'd been around for quite a while, and um, he was an expert in, you know, Soviet stuff and uh, dealing with uh, Soviet intelligence. His name was Harry Rositsky, and he wrote a few books uh, on um, Soviet intelligence and what it was like dealing with them and his history with it and all that. Yeah. Uh, and to, And most people that heard that, they said, uh, it seemed to make sense that that was the person that uh, who was you know if he was doing what he was doing during the, Benef- the Benowitz period that it made sense it was him uh, because it was you know if it was an operation to um, find uh, Soviet spies uh, here and try to protect the ones that we had over there 
um, a lot of the things that were done around Benowitz and around what was going on in the uh, late 70s and early 80s, it made a lot of sense that it had to do with um, messing with Soviet intelligence. So, in that in that sense, uh, Rosicki was a good, uh, a good candidate. And um, the other reason I, I one asked Bill and two uh, put it out there is because I wanted to figure out find out if anybody else could do some more work and figure out if it was you know find any more supporting evidence for it. And nobody's yeah. really said anything for uh, so far. So I'm 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 going to assume that that was that's who it was. I mean nobody can ask him now because he died in I think '99 or 2000 or something like that. Who would he have even interacted with? I'm trying to think of the cast of characters that could confirm it. Well, um, Benowitz, right? Obviously, he's gone. So yeah. Well, he never talked to Benowitz. He never oh, okay. had anything. Any and the only people he had any contact with that I know of. Um, were Richard Doty and uh, more. Uh, and I think uh, Robert Collins, too, has written a, uh, that exempt from disclosure book. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he he he, <clears throat> he pretty much kept to himself. I mean, uh, the funny thing, I said, Bill, what was he like? He's like, very businesslike. All he would, he would, he would talk about the subject at hand, and if you asked any other questions, he would change the subject quickly or just give you a blank stare. Like, how's your family? He just looked at you and go, go on to the next thing. He didn't, he didn't want to talk about anything except what was supposed to be done next. That's very, weird. Very businesslike. Yeah. Very odd. If you look at his history, it's you know he's. I think he grew up. I think he grew up like in Brooklyn. His family was uh, Polish, Jewish, I believe. And during World War II, he went and worked against the Nazis and uh, and kept an eye on the Soviets. And after the war, he he uh, was part of the people that went in and pulled Reinhard Galen in and, and part of the Nazi uh, uh, intelligence uh, oh, like Project Paperclip and and played them against the Soviets. Yeah, because yeah. The Nazis knew stuff about the Soviet intelligence; the Americans didn't. Right, right, yeah. Like Project Paperclip type shit. Yes. Crazy. Well, that makes sense. If you're mixed up in that shit, you could probably be mixed up in UFOs and shit. You could probably be, you know, that's well, some, use, that's some hard, hardcore tool. stuff. Well, they were using it as a tool because, uh, it, you know, people think that this um, Falcon and this whole thing with Benowitz and all that was this giant, uh, incredible, overarching operation to mess with UFO researchers that lead them astray and all. No. The part that Moore and Doty were involved in was a little tiny, itsy-bitsy part of a much larger operation to mess with Soviet intelligence and, and find out um, more about them and who they were talking to. This was right. just one little piece of it because um, a lot of people were coming from China and Russia and saying, hey, what's going on with this? I'm from, I am Russian UFO uh, expert. What are you seeing? What is your, you know, and they were basically just trying to vacuum up information to see if it, it matched up with anything they had on, on secret air, air, aircraft testing right. and other things. Well, the funny thing is, it's like, it's almost quaint when you think about it, uh, that... Uh, nowadays, they don't even need like all this human intelligence. They can just suck up all the all the data from people exchanging emails and all the other stuff. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah, people have probably gone back to old fashioned like meeting, you know, 
In fact, at the tail end of some of the stuff I was doing and working on the book, that people wouldn't email me. They just they would just say, um, "Give me a phone call because that's a little, that's a little harder to look at." And then they'll set up a time, and then we meet in a place, and they would they would meet me there, and it would, according to you know, according to them, it was it was a safe place to talk because there were nobody as far as they knew, nobody was listening. Right. So yeah, is, yeah, I was involved in some some vague extent with spy stuff, which is which is uh, intriguing, exciting, and uh, a little frightening. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. I would I would I would do it myself if I had the chance. So I have no, <laughs> you know, it sounds well. It's that or it's like let's revisit Rendlesham again, you know, or like I don't know. I have a hard time, like, getting excited about sort of old stuff as it is, unless it's, like, old sort of kitschy or old sort of, like, cultural aspects of this. It's, like, old cases yeah. and stuff. I mean, what's, what can we do if with somebody that? Comes up with, yeah, if somebody comes up with something new on a case and it seems to either expand the case or explain it, I'm all ears. I'd love to hear it. Um, and I, I'm still pretty strong on the Rex Heflin thing, even though a lot of people aren't, because of the presentation I heard in the about 10 years ago where they actually, this was a guy that saw that, that straw hat looking thing and took pictures of it. It was Polaroid in Santa Ana. Oh yeah. 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 The famous picture or something. Yeah. Yeah, Um, I'm still, I still think there's something, I don't think he faked the pictures because of the fact that they took the picture. Somebody took the pictures from him for years, the originals, and he described the pictures and he only had made copies of the ones of the object, not of this other thing, which was smoke ring. He said that the thing had left when it left. It left a hmm. ring of smoke in the air, which you can only do by, I think, like uh, uh, little explosions will make a smoke ring. Um, but he said the thing took off very quickly, and it left this smoke ring just floating in the air. And he had a picture of it, and he said, but I, I don't have it because the people took it. And 30 years later, somebody came to – and he talked about this. 30 years later or 40 years later, somebody um, called his phone and said, go to, go out to your mailbox. And he went out there, and his pictures were in there that were taken from him you know, 40 years ago. And there were the pictures of the smoke ring. Huh. That's just weird. So, yeah, and I don't, I don't know what to make of that part. Yeah, I guess he could have faked the other stuff, but what, what's the deal with the smoke ring? And why did he even mention it? That's, that's nothing to do with a, any kind of. A, why would you even make that part up when you were trying to fake a UFO sighting? That doesn't make any sense. Besides, where do you get a picture of a smoke ring? Or maybe he had one and then you know faked the UFO pictures. I have no idea, but. Um, it's you know the, the, they've looked at the pictures. Unfortunately, it's just a picture of the smoke, not appearing in the background. Um, and it was an overcast sky, so it was just like this white background uh, on on the yeah. pictures. And they done analysis of you know they did their own analysis. Uh, what was it, Robert Wood and and uh, maybe Maccabee was in there. And uh, I presume uh, so. He's the uh, photo maestro. Yeah. Maybe I think they got somebody else, and they also used different software and things that were available at the time that weren't available when photos first came out, and that weren't available when the first skeptical explanations came out. Anyway, I'm still intrigued by that case. Um, I haven't looked into it years, but for right now, it's it's unexplained to me. Um, yeah, new information could change my mind. Well, it's an interesting. Uh, it's interesting. That's for sure. It's odd. I don't know what. Yeah, I was thinking. I said the other day on that other show, it's like in order to pull off a good hoax, you need like a good combination of like the desire, the time, and the skill. And it's like most people can't really put those three together. So I, everyone's always, you know, it's always like 
I, I get that there were a lot of hoax shit uh, back in the day, but I think, you know, anytime someone sees something, sees super skeptical people, they're just like, hoax! It's like, dude, you, I just don't think the people have the the, pro, the proper, I don't think enough people have the proper mix of time, skill, and desire to pull off a, a reasonable hoax. You know, some people do, they make those CGI things, like, but they then they tell you right away afterwards, you know? So to me, it's like, I think the number of hoaxes is a lot lower, at least nowadays. Maybe less so back then because people gave a fuck about UFOs, so people would have more desire. But now it's like, I just I think there's less hoaxes than than people maybe think. Misidentifications, sure, but hoaxes outright, eh, I'm kind of skeptical of that. Yeah, you know, it's quite easier to hoax videos and, and photos than it is to do a live hoax anymore. And I never I oh, never think sure. that the, the vast majority of things that are that that aren't true unexplained are hoaxes. I think it's a low percentage. I think most of them are misidentifications. Like, probably, you know, out of 100% of UFO cases, um, 95 of them are going to be misidentifications. Uh, One or two are going to be hoaxes. And then, you know, two or three are going to be actual unidentified that you have to look into a little bit further to find out what they are. Right, right. Exactly, yeah. Well, where can folks get the book? We're closing in on the end here, so what's the preferred destination? Uh, ItDefiesLanguage.com has links to Lulu, to Amazon, um, to a – if they want to buy an autographed copy, I will send that out. I sent out two today. I will autograph them basically for the same price plus postage, so I guess it's going to be, what, $17, I think? But anyway, um, I, I, I will set them out with a whatever you want signed on them. There's a little thing when you order it. You can write that in. And then there's, post, there's actually posters of the book. Uh, Redfield said, why don't we print up posters? So we did. And they're not big. They're like, uh, what is it, 12 by 18 or 16 by something like that. They're not big. They're nice. They're very nice. Yeah, you've seen them. Yeah, um, I have one. And I, signed by Redfield. Yeah, if you go to, yeah, if you go to uh, com, one word. Um, and I'll put the link up for the Kindle, too, which is uh, a, a very stupid oversight of mine, which I should have done on Sunday. Well, it'll, it'll, uh, all these list- listeners, you got to buy this book. Greg's been on the show a million times. I said this already, but it's true. He supported <laughs> me. He put out this book. It's outstanding. I feel like we didn't even get into it much because I feel bad because Greg does all these interviews. He's been doing interviews and stuff, so it's like, uh, you know, I'm kind of like weary of of being like, like, tell me about this on page that and this, that, and the other. I did kind of hit him with yeah, a few well, of them that really stuck out to me from reading the book. Yeah. But it was like, I find the people don't really worry, fascinating. Tim. Yeah, don't mm-hmm. worry. We talked about stuff on this show that hasn't been mentioned on any other show yet because of, just because of the way we talk. So it, it, this, this has been a, a, a bit of a different interview than the others, so don't worry about that. All right. <laughs> Well, and by I didn't that, talk he means about terrible. I didn't talk about Pam Stonebrook. I didn't talk, you know, a couple other things. I, I nobody asked questions about, so we really got into those, and that, that that was good. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, I find these people fascinating. I find sort of like, uh, I, 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 I kind of like put you in the same position in a way uh, as as my hero Stan Friedman, where it's like I want like a biography. Like I want to know more. I want to fill in all these biographical details on these on folks that I know and. You know, learning about how you, you know, first met Bill Moore and how you sort of were like getting mixed up in this thing and and meeting how it, different it was back then. I've always found really fascinating. So, someday, sometime next, oh, we stop. We have a little time. How, 
How did you end up meeting Go Rightly? The illustrious Adam Go Rightly. Uh, when I was doing my uh, the Excluded Middle magazine, he wrote to me saying, "Can I write an article for your magazine?" And that's how I met him. <laughs> ah, all right. So that was was that simple back then? Yeah. Two or three or something. So I've known him for quite a while. The the thing about the book is that I didn't set out to write any kind of autobiographical anything. It's just that it turned out a bunch of the stuff. I was involved in the story, so I guess I had to mention myself. I'm, I really hate talking about myself. Like, I'm, I'm going to write about myself because I'm real interesting. I don't think I am, but the thing is that all this stuff that happened to me, the only way I could talk about it is because I was there, so I wrote about it. And that's you No, know, I like it. First, like I said, I... Yeah, first first couple chapters are like that. The rest, uh, first three, I guess. And the rest of them are, like I said, theory and, and, and opinions and, and conspiracy stuff and paranormal things. And there's, like, a big article on ghosts and one, one about taking LSD with a friend and what the funny things that happened then. And so. <laughs> oh, I fucking – well, you know something? We'll, we'll, if you don't mind, we'll maybe go a little bit over the thing. But I, I did want to ask you yeah. about this story with the – with the haunted house in San Diego, because I, I, you told the story on coast to coast. I mentioned it to you after you were on, uh, on coast and I, I didn't press you on it. Cause I wanted to ask you about it on the show. Cause I still am like perplexed, like tell the basics of the story and then I'll, I'll get to like how I'm perplexed. Cause I, I was like, I want to follow up with you, <laughs> but I wanted to wait, wait till we were doing the show. Cause I well, found it so like, interesting. The, the guy that took me on the tour. Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. Uh, I was working on Weird California. There was a place in San Diego called um, the Via Montezuma. I'd been there when I was in Boy Scouts when I was a kid, so I remembered it. So I asked the called this historical society and asked them to get somebody because they didn't give tours. But I said I'm working on this book called Weird California. And they said, well, we're not giving tours right now, but we'll have this guy come out and meet you there. So they did. So that's the background. And then he gave you the tour, and then. Yeah, yeah, I, I, okay, well, I'll the gist is he gave you the tour, and then you called later to get his name, and they were like, we don't know how any idea who you're talking about. Yeah, they said, go meet Greg there. It's like, oh, that's easy to remember. I met him there. He took me on the tour. He took like an hour. He told me all kinds of great stories. He told me that the caretakers there, a lot of them went nuts and started like pretending, thinking there was a guy that used to live there. And he told oh, me all great weird stories. And he said, oh, yeah, he used to fake stuff. He had it's like a, this... this uh, he did seances, and he faked a lot of the stuff, or maybe all of it. And uh, but he was also a real good musician, so he said he was tra- he was uh, channeling, you know, Mozart and all this stuff. Anyway, Greg did. Um, the guy, huh? Greg said that he did all the this. Guy, well, the yeah, guy who lived he told there. Me all these great. Uh, he was just, he just met me there to give the tour. He was like a member of the Historical Society of San Diego, so they had him meet yeah. me there. So. A couple, I don't know, months later, a few weeks later, I call up. I said, "Look, I need his last name for the for the for the piece because I want to use, you know, I want to credit him for taking me through the house and use his whole name." And they I, they said, "We don't have anybody named Greg that does tours." And they said, "But he gave me a tour." And they said, "Well, maybe he was using a different name, but we didn't. We don't have anybody named that." And I said, "Well, somebody at your office told me to beat him and said his name was Greg." No, we don't have anybody named Greg. We never have. <laughs> That's really weird. Like, I, I guess I'm just flummoxed like you didn't – like, how, how – I that would, like, bother me too much. I'd have to figure out what the fuck happened there. Like, I don't get I, – I really – I wonder unless they, like, fired the guy and they were just being really, like, coy about it, but Maybe. I don't – There's probably a very mundane explanation for it. I guess there is. It's fun to think that something really creepy happened. I don't know. But I've got – 
I've been cultivating for many years, as I told you, this emotional detachment from this stuff so I don't get freaked out or say, oh, my God, I must be a really important person for this to happen to be, you know, any of that stuff. I, yeah. I, I, and so the, the fact that I was like, oh, that's pretty weird. I guess that's a very strange thing I'll never figure out. Maybe it was a ghost. I have no idea. Bloop, and that was the end of it for me. You're lucky because if it happened to me, I'd be, like, obsessed with trying to fucking – figure out what happened it would drive me crazy that's why like when i heard the well, story no i'm like it's, it's like what it's been too long yeah they yeah. would not even remember that I was giving a tour there but i i mean i was trying i was on deadline for the book too so i was like yeah well whatever yeah that's true yeah yeah it's weird i like to think that if yeah. i'm gonna I, i'm gonna hold out hope not that it was a ghost but that it was a, just a crazy person who like is obsessed with the place and somehow you know, I don't know how he insinuated himself into giving you the tour, but he was like, <laughs> he was like an obsessive. Yeah, but I, he wasn't. I called the historical society, and they said they were going to send the guy, and they told me his name. Yeah. And I went there at the time, and he answered the door. Oh, Jesus, yeah. And we were the well, only people in the house, too. There weren't oh, anybody Christ. else. There wasn't anybody else. Yeah, it was just me and him walking around the house. That makes it even creepier. So have, well... Yeah, but I have no, you know, I have no third party, uh, 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 third uh, supporting witness testimony for it. Clearly, uh, either he called and said he was <laughs> the historical society, or uh, who knows? It's weird. It's fucking weird. It's really weird. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we did have time actually, so we won't dribble over into the thing. We have like seven minutes left. We'll, we'll, uh, somebody asked me if the baseball special was going to happen this year. The baseball special has been rained out for 2016. So uh, <laughs> some people sent predictions. Uh, I, I told Jason Offit that I didn't even make predictions. So I think that Greg sent some, Lauren sent some, and Adam and Jason did. So it'll be kind of like a strike-shortened season, but – if anyone uh, scores big, we'll, we'll recognize them. But, yeah, no baseball special. I'm doing four shows in a week. That's, like, the best I can I can yeah. muster right now. Those baseball shows are harder than they – Find as hard as you can. Exactly. With, the, with no baseball – I don't listen to any shows, but as a completist, I feel like you should do the baseball special. I don't listen to them, but you really should have done it. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> There's probably someone out there that's saying that, yeah. Jeez, you know, you don't even you don't even do the baseball special. So it defies language dot com and radio mysterioso dot com. That's where you can find more from Greg and uh Yeah. I went we went this whole time without mentioning Paramania, but it it was awesome folks. So I, I just to tell my listeners, because I we did do we did put that put that simulcast out uh when we announced it. You should have been there. That's what I said. Fortunately or not, the next one's in Los Angeles next year. The next one's in Los Angeles, but you you kind of have to figure it out from word of mouth. We don't promote the event, so. Um, but yeah, as I said on Facebook, it was wonderful. It was magical. It was a magical weekend. Uh, much love to Steve Ray. I promised him I'd give him a shout out on the show. So. Ah, yeah. Well, you he, should. He did a great. He, he did a way above and beyond job. For the paramaniacs listening, I'll give a good Steve story. I talked to Steve the other night, and he first he's first he was going to the opera. He went to the opera to see uh, Showboat. They made an opera of Showboat. So, and then uh-huh. I sent him. This was like last week, and then I sent him a message 
tonight to see if he was going to be listening to the show and said I'd give a shout out. And he was at a play at the Texas Theater, which is where we went to see uh, where they arrested Oswald. So he's a very cultured man. Yeah. It was yeah, very, uh, very interesting. Open yet. No, no, we couldn't get in there, but we found a good hipster bar nearby, so. Yeah, it's a good gentrification bar. I think it was called the gentrification. <laughs> <laughs> I just like how we chased out that, like, wedding party that was in there. I felt really, <laughs> I felt really bad, but then I didn't. They all so. gave us funny looks and then walked out the door. I was really proud. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was, they were all like, they slowly like two by two like left the, we were <laughs> the ultimate like party crashes. But hey, I'm sure the I'm sure the hipsters appreciated us more because we drank a lot more than that part that that little wedding party would have. So, but yeah, yeah. that was a cool spot. That was a really yeah, cool nice spot. And a, there and... yeah, a charcuterie tray. Yes, I brought, I ordered the charcuterie tray and then uh, I put on. All the girls were sitting by themselves, and all the guys were at the bar. So I went down and sat with all the girls and ate charcuterie with them. <laughs> See that? He knows how how it works, folks. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll say it again. Like I said on Facebook, you should have been there, but you know, we're, and it worked out so perfectly that it, but you know, it, it was for the. <laughs> if you're listening and you're like, ah, I should have gone. Who knows? <laughs> the butterfly effect. It was uh it was an amazing weekend. We'll see how it goes in the future, but in the future, of course, uh, where's the British lady? Usually she interrupts me by now to start yapping about how much time's left. Where is she? All right, she'll come on in a minute. Uh, you have it defies... seconds, you bastard. Exactly. Oh, yes. Oh, so you, you're kind of like me in a sense, uh, that the, that the, uh, that your, your show's kind of slowed down a little bit because you have these, all these new commitments and everything else, so, uh. When uh, what's going on with the show? Can we expect you did a new show this past Sunday? So, what's what's going yeah, on? Yeah, it was show? a very self-indulgent show. Um, Red Pill and Robert Bernstein from uh, the Paracast forums interviewed me about uh, uh, it defies language. So that'll nice. be posted in fairly soon, um, so I can get that going again. Uh, now that the book is out and the Kindle is out, uh, I can start concentrating on the show again, and then. Uh, whatever next project's coming up. But I've, since being laid off of my job, I've become so busy that I don't have time for a lot of stuff. I had much more time uh, to do certain things when I actually had a job because I, did, I, I, I could only do a few things. Now I feel like I can do everything, so my, uh, my calendar's completely stuffed with stuff to do. Uh, I've, That's a good thing. Yeah, tomorrow I'm taking a friend on a, on a tour of L.A. On, on Thursday I'm co-hosting the Paracast, I think. Um, Friday, uh, I'm working coast to coast. <laughs> wow. Yes, you got a full uh, full slate. Well, the British lady is uh, counting us down. And uh, as I said, it defies language.com is where you can find the book. RadioMysterioso.com is where you can find the show. And uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on the program again, Greg. Like I said, I, I broke my own personal OCD rule because uh, – I wanted to make sure folks knew about this book. They got to go out and get it. It's really fantastic. And uh, as I said on the back, Greg's a next level thinker, folks. So the 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 pieces in there make you think, and that's what we need more of. We need more. That's kind of why tonight 
talking to Greg, I tried to like throw out these crazy ideas I've had lately because he's one of the few people I actually feel like I can get, uh, you know, that I'm not just in an echo chamber, you know, where I can get some real uh, feedback to these sort of wacky ideas. You know, he makes me think differently. So, you know, and that's what we need more of in this field, more uh, different thinking. So, uh, you know, I called him on the Paramania page, my spiritual big brother, and I, I do mean that. He's a mentor and a friend, and I can't thank you enough for coming on the show again, buddy. Well, thanks a lot, Tim. Anytime. Uh, you're a great host and a good friend, and anytime you want me on, you can b- break any rule you want. I'm, I'm, I'm free. There you go. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, good night. I'm going to do my plugs and stuff, and I will uh, talk to you later. Thanks again. Okay, thank you, and thanks to everybody for listening. All right, folks, that was Greg Bishop. Thanks to all the folks who tuned in live. Uh, we just cut them off, I think, so they're uh, going to have to listen, I guess, later to be thanked. And, of course, thank you to uh, all the folks listening to I'm MP3. We're on day two, done. Greg Bishop, it defies language.com and radiomysterioso.com. Check it out, folks. I, I, I do love Greg. He's amazing, and uh, I consider him a mentor and a dear friend. And what's on tap tomorrow night? Micah Hanks, 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, long time since Mike has been on the show. A few years, maybe almost five years. I'd have to look before we do the program. But, uh, yeah, Micah Hanks on the show tomorrow night, 10 p.m. Uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, I should update this thing. I didn't talk, I talk about this uh, on the show last night. I'm out of the little room that was the that was torturing me since the Eric Wallette interview uh, I'm no longer sitting at the little desk. I'm no longer tied up on the old Radio Shack phone. But that means also that I'm on an even worse phone. I'm on just a wireless phone, a cordless. But I find actually that it uh, opens up the the mind a little bit because I can walk around while I'm on the phone, which is really great. So I'm thinking maybe once things settle down a little bit, getting some kind of like headset thing and getting into the Skype thing, if I can walk around, if I can get like a wireless headset thingamaboo and wear it, uh, that doesn't make me look like, you know, some lunatic. Well, I guess no one's going to see me. So what difference does that make? But then, uh, that might, we might move into that realm and get off the phone situation and maybe do the Skype thing. Cause I like being able to walk around. So there you go. Moronic observations from your paranormal podco- podcast, uh, friend Tim Benall. And uh, on that note, check us out on uh, BinallofAmerica.com, B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America.com. Given the chaos of all this, we're trying to just put the links up. So on one post on the page, so it just says Zabel, Bishop, Hanks, Cleland, listening links. So click that if you're trying to find the links to listen to these shows live or after the fact. And It goes without saying, and it's pointless to say, that the show's not even going to be on iTunes and the podcast feed until, God, this weekend maybe at best. So that's uh, the update on that. Like I said, it goes without saying, because if you're dependent on that, you're not hearing it till it's up there. So hope you're having a good weekend. Uh, What else? Facebook. Been all of America on Facebook. Just punch in the name, B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America on Facebook, and click the like button. Uh, updates on the show, all the good stuff you expect from BOA on Facebook. Uh, make a donation if you can. That would help us. We're doing four shows this week. Blog talk cost a bunch of money, and I stupidly didn't uh, cancel the subscription or anything because I didn't want to be like, oh, well, I'm not going to do a live show again. So I just kept it going. So 
that was just a big waste of money. So <laughs> I'm a moron. And if you can help us out, that would be great. So make a donation via PayPal or our P.O. Box address, which you can find at Benal of America. And I think that is just about it. Micah Hanks tomorrow night, 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Thank you so much to the hardcore listeners. Thank you to the newcomers. Thank you to uh, everybody who's tuned in the last two nights and everybody who's going to tune in for the next two nights. And on that note, this is Tim Benal. Thank you for listening. I'll be talking to you tomorrow night. Until then, have a good one, folks.